Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ampere Studios podcast. We are here at the Ampere Computing Building in the downtown waterfront in Portland, Oregon. My name is Mahesh Madhav and I'm joined here today by Kathy Thompson, who is our, one of our summer interns here at Ampere Computing, working in the architecture team. Kathy is here with us from Reed College, where she's going to be a senior working on a computer science degree. Our other guest here today is Annie Duong, and she is a senior engineering manager at Ampere Computing in the digital logic team. So welcome to you both. And what we're doing here today is having a conversation on engineering and careers and philosophizing on anything that may come up. I'm excited to get started on this conversation, so I'm going to have Kathy start it off. Thanks, Mash. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to ask, you worked for 17 years at Intel prior to coming to Ampere, and I was wondering why did you leave? Why did you join Ampere in the first place? Could you tell me about what that decision process was like? Okay, that's a big question. 17 years is a long time. I never intended to be anywhere for 17 years. It just kind of happened that way. And in the 17 years that I was at Intel, I definitely shifted my roles every three, four years. You know, I was doing logic design and then I became a manager and then we moved into SOC design. And then more recently, I switched into, not switched, but I kind of played both roles, technical and a non-technical role of organizational development and team building. And I shifted towards that because I thought there was a greater need for creating a strong team versus what I was doing just as a manager. I also was coming back from maternity leave. And when I came back from maternity leave, I was managing... I think it was 13 people, and that was a lot on top of just having a baby. And so I needed a change. And so I went into this more kind of org health, org development role, and slowly moved out of engineering in the past year or so. And the more I did that role, the more I I gained a lot of experience kind of helping build teams and working with leadership and trying to change the culture But at a really big company, I was starting to hit just roadblocks of culture changes. And it was starting to dawn on me that to do this, it was going to be a serious investment that I don't know if I was committed to. And then I started talking to others that were at Ampere. And I thought about it. Would I go back to engineering, one? And two, it was a lot more compelling to help shape and start a culture of a new place, then try to change it. And so I thought hard about, okay, well, did I leave engineering because I don't like it or did I leave it because of the environment? And it was because the current environment that I was in was not motivating, not interesting enough. And then hearing about all the great work at Ampere, maybe it was not, it was a really easy decision once I heard about it, but it was a long decision coming, if that makes sense. I was also kind of in a similar boat where I was trying to figure out whether or not my loss of interest in engineering was due to that era of my life was complete, or was I just in the wrong boat, Mm -hmm. right? Was I not surrounded by the right kind of people? Right. And uh, it was surprising to me when I jumped into the Ampere boat and that mojo started coming back to me for engineering. 
for engineering work. Right. I was I was kind of on the brink of taking a drastic turn into like the mm-hmm. creative field, mm-hmm. right, and just doing the production or something right. full time, and and so it was kind of a, a very open and inclusive of Otic to allow me to to do both production work and mm-hmm. engineering work for my job. Right. And you know, it kind of spoke to the inclusivity of Ampere and what you know, the ethos of the the people who want to create this company. Right. I mean, in my former job, I was kind of along the same lines where I thought, okay, the engineering is not as interesting and I was doing I was having a good effect on a lot of people and that was really rewarding. Until after a while, I realized, you know, I impacted 500 people, impacted 1,000 people, but I did not impact entire Intel. And that would be a huge emotional investment. And then switching to Ampere, I realized that I could kind of have both. I can help shape a team and do technical work. And people have asked me, what was like switching back to engineering? And I was like, well, you know, it was like I didn't leave almost. Which is hard to explain, but it's I like, did leave. It's like riding a bicycle. Yeah, I did. And I came back, and and it's been really rewarding. And, you know, it's been interesting to see what the Ampere culture is going to become. And people here, I think, are really thoughtful about it, which is really what you need. Like You need people to be intentionally thinking about it versus kind of reacting and realizing, oh, wait, we need to change something because something went wrong. And that was... And I could tell with the leadership here that I, you know, I really believed in a lot of people that were already moving here. And I could see even a difference in their behaviors than, they, than their previous jobs. That, you know, yeah, maybe that does speak to the Ampere setting that makes people feel motivated again. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. saltwater fishes don't do well in freshwater and vice versa, right? Yeah. So sometimes you put the fish in the right pond and they can thrive. Yeah. Yeah, I... I heard that you did quite a lot of workplace events mm-hmm. at Intel. I know that you organized the workplace run mm-hmm. at Intel that's still going strong and really tried to reach out to diversity initiatives. And yet you haven't done that here. So I I guess why not? Right. So I, I've kind of asked myself that same question. One, I, you know, I've only been here for seven months and I kind of wanted to get a lay of the land. Two, I did those things at Intel because I could tell that the team, that people needed something to feel like a team again, right? You know, is it doing team building events? Is it giving people perks, you know, compensation perks or advantages to going to some places for shopping? I don't know, what stuff like that, tickets. And I've always been very drawn to rallying people together. Like I just I thrive on other people's energy, and I get kind of energized by that. And so I thought, well, have I done that here, and why haven't I not done something as big? Maybe partly because I don't think people need it, and I also think I've done it in a different way, in a way that I think is more intimate almost, because you know I was organizing a race for, say, 3,000 people, and I could see people attended, people had a great time, and here I have a running club. And now I am running twice a week with my coworkers that I never did this at my old job. I would maybe run or I would work through lunch instead because 
I had things to do and I was just not interested in taking time from work. Yeah, taking the time from work because I had so much to do. And I'm not saying I don't have time. I don't have things to do here. But I really value the quality time I'm spending with people one-on-one more, which is probably why I feel like I don't need to do something big and huge. And it's more just about – and I, I kind of realized this when I left Intel. The amount of people that I say goodbye to, I realized I hadn't talked to them in a long time. All these people came up to you and be like, oh, I can't believe you're leaving. And I realized I used to talk to you every day. And somehow I lost touch because I was doing all these initiatives that were impacting lots of people, but they weren't as one-on-one as I would as I would normally do. And so I think here I've been focusing more on just creating really personal relationships with people so I can so I can know them and, yeah, just hang out with them in a, in a much more intimate way. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why I haven't done something as big. And I've also kind of stepped back to so that it's not – what I'm only known for, if that makes sense. It's a way to reinvent yourself, too, in a new place. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I would do it on a, in a heartbeat just because I love organizing things, but I I want to see if... Another thing was I, I was always a go-to person and until like everyone said, oh, we need this done, let's go ask Andy to do it. And so then nobody really kind of grew into that role, and that mm. I realized when I left, I kind of left this open gap of no one to fulfill my role in that I felt like I failed there almost because I didn't kind of there's definitely people who picked up pieces right but I didn't have an obvious choice of like you know what if I step out who will take my place and so I didn't want to become that person here where only I would do this and so now it's great we have other people organizing things you guys are doing this podcast it's great there's people organizing quarterlies or team events right it's not just me and so that and I that's really the only way to get a culture to kind of move forward is that it's not just one person it's one person starts it and then everybody kind of chips in so. right right do you think it's a characteristic of ampere itself that has lent itself to this really intimate culture or do you think it would be more of the same kind of feeling that you get here at another small company i guess is it the size of the company that lends this sort of intimacy or it's the fact that it's a small company and all of these people that used to work together rediscovering their passion for their work. I think a lot is a small company. I Not everybody has worked together, right? So we're merging companies with people from Qualcomm, people from ASMC, and we are different sites, and obviously Intel. I think it's a lot about the people that have the same values, similar values of what they want, what they want in their job, in their career, in their life right now. And there are people looking for a job that wasn't blocked by politics, that was engaging, that motivated them to want to do well and work with other people that are really smart, people that I always felt like, you know, I play tennis. And I always play better when I play against someone who's better than me. And then when I play against someone who's not as good as me, I kind of relax. And I think it's the same kind of thing in work. If you're surrounded people who are super smart, who challenge you, but in a way that is very encouraging, that you feel safe, you don't feel like, oh, I'm, I don't want to ask a question because I don't know, right? If you're in an environment that you're just kind of pushed to be better, then you'll do better and they'll do better and everyone feels kind of motivated that way. And I think it's easier to do in a small environment than 
with hundreds of people not having the time for each other. Right. It's hard to form form relationships with a hundred people. Right. You mentioned competition. I, I just kind of realized that there isn't much personal competition mm-hmm. here. And it feels more like we're homesteaders, all kind of going west and settling and mm-hmm. helping each other out in this little place that we're creating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that was something that a lot of people struggle with and I was always trying to figure out and help them at my previous job what's their spot what's you know what position could they get who could they be grow into but there weren't very many spots available and so it was a very competitive environment and not as supportive because it was it was more like well I can't move up if until someone else leaves or something like that right I mean and that's kind of more extreme but it was that case for many people and then here, I feel like a lot of the discussion is just, you know, we have the same goal in mind, and we all want to succeed, and no one's really competing against each other, which is, is, is nice for a change. I mean, it's just, it's almost, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uplifting. Uplifting or just sigh of relief almost. Mm. <laughs> like it just makes things easier. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I can breathe and not... You're going with the wind? Yeah, maybe. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I I do relate to that. I hope to work at a company that is like that in the mm-hmm. future. So you've been interning here for a couple of months now? Yes. Okay. And is this your first internship? Yes. It is my first internship. Okay. And I think yours is really interesting because I know that you were kind of pioneering the computer science program at Reed that's it just started if, if I'm correct yeah it's it's recently started it's been in development for a long time but I will be the first I will be part of the first class that will be graduating with a computer science degree from the department of computer mm-hmm. science yeah obviously I want to know how you got into that being you know if it's not a common thing to do at your college, because it's, it's, that's not typical. And then also, is Amber helping you with this degree, with this pursuit of computer science, and could we do anything more? Right. Yeah, It's. I wouldn't say that my introduction to computer science was particularly interesting. <laughs> I was a biology major when I came to college, and I was very invested in biology and I took a computer science class for giggles and because my dad is an IT administrator mm-hmm. and said, you know, if you know computer science, you can do pretty much anything. So I took that class and I fell in love with it. I spent hours and hours and hours debugging my coding sets. I would talk to the tutors every single night and there was such a supportive community around that class because it was so difficult. And I said, and I thought to myself, oh, I'll be a bioinformatics major. Mm-hmm. And then I took a bioinformatics class <laughs> and I discovered that I didn't like biology. <laughs> so it was computational systems biology. So it was all graph algorithms. And I loved graphs and I loved theoretical complexity of graphs and mm-hmm the computer science of that. So then I switched my major to computer science. I think that 
this internship is helping me mostly because at my school it's very theoretical because we grew out Mm. of the math department one of the last computer science classes i took um, deep learning was we wrote proofs like in like for homework like Mm -hmm. we didn't have programming we had programming assignments of course but like a significant portion of our homework was also writing proofs and that's been true for most of the computer science classes i've taken and i figure in industry you probably don't write proofs of like these concepts that you've learned in undergrad so i wanted to get more practice actually programming and getting feedback on my programs and just more applied development. So yeah, I think Ampere is really helping with that for sure. And I really appreciate the opportunity to work here because I know that there's a lot of competition right now to get company internships and to get ones that are where they actually have you doing useful things. Mm-hmm. I've heard f- stories about people who have gone um, to other companies and have just sat in a room mm-hmm. by themselves coding all day with no direction. Mm-hmm. They've seen their manager twice and they just keep they just keep going with right. nothing and Will their code ever be used? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So I feel good that I'm actually doing something good here. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Now here at Ampere, we try to put you in the critical path. <laughs> <laughs> Your code will be exercised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That That is something that I do appreciate is I feel useful. I mean, that's what anybody really wants, right? They don't. Mm-hmm. They don't want to feel like they're work is thrown away or yeah they want to be valued mm-hmm. and recognized for their for their work mm-hmm. I was wondering when you were deciding whether to take the internship I remember Mahesh sent me your name mm-hmm. you'd wanted to speak to another woman mm-hmm. engineer mm-hmm. is there any particular reason yeah at my college there was a survey done by a senior and she surveyed all of the gender minorities in the entire computer science classes i guess set and in the intro class in particular she said she asked rate yourself scale of one to five how confident do you feel solving computer science problems and zero percent of gender minorities said that they were above average at solving problems and 91% of men said that they were five out of five confident in solving computer science problems. Mm-hmm. And we'll keep in mind here that this is the intro class using Python. And it got relatively better mm-hmm. as you get higher up in those classes, but there's a real problem with mm-hmm. it, I guess, at my school. Right. So, And not just your school. Yeah. 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 So I guess that's why I wanted to talk to someone who was in the field. How do you feel about the different coding organizations that want to get more women into computer science? Mm-hmm. It's interesting you said that. So I, I was trying to think, what would I have answered in that survey when I was <laughs> 19 and taking my first programming class? Um, I did not grow up programming. 
Mm-hmm. Even though I was, you know, really into computers and math and science, I just really was not exposed to it. I did a lot of diversity inclusion work at Intel. We, we talked about that. And I got to go to a lot of interesting talks and I've watched a lot of TED Talks. My ultimate conclusion at the end was we need to undo gender in the in these initiatives. That said, that doesn't mean there's a lot of work to be done also in terms of kind of closing the gap of making it more 50-50. I would agree that sometimes you need a little bit more exposure to get your confidence up, right? So if there are initiatives, programs that help people feel more confident in a safe environment, right? You want to be in an environment you can ask questions. And often you need that environment to be with people you're comfortable around. And so if it is an environment that's for, you know, I, I always say, you, you don't want to say, you don't, you don't want to exclude anybody, mm-hmm. but you can say our focuses on women or questions that the gender minorities might have, then that could help boost confidence. So I think those are good. I always felt that a lot of the work needs to be done even earlier than say now in college. I think gender stereotypes form at the ages of five to seven. You know, once you tell someone they can't do something at seven years old, they probably won't. And they'll probably shift their focus into something else because that's that's all they know. And I think a lot of the work needs to be done at younger ages and just kind of exposing children of all diversities to engineering, to math and science, you know, definitely to people who don't have it easily accessible, who don't have the privilege of, you know, I grew up with a parent who taught me how to do this, right? I mean, I'm I'm recognizing that now. Like, we have two boys, and they love math and science. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, probably because their parents are both engineers, and we always relate things to math, and we're talking to them about binary encoding, and I think not everybody has this kind of fortunate background or setup, and it's important to give that back to others, and especially at younger ages, you know, middle school, high school, Providing those programs to everybody is really important. I just wanted to go back a little bit in what you said. You gave an amazing answer. I was wondering, could you explain more about what you mean by undo gender? Yes. Yeah, so the conversation is has gone pretty far in the pendulum of focusing on specific minorities. Gender is one of them. Female gender specifically. And then ethnicities, right? And it's almost backlashed in that people hear the word diversity and they think it doesn't apply to them. Mm. They hear the word inclusion and they think that doesn't apply to me because I'm not diverse. And so they almost have a – people can have a, a negative response to it, which is what we don't want, right? The focus should be more on how to include everybody in a really collaborative environment. I went to a really interesting, interesting conference that was focusing on the, we talked about competition, the hyper-competitive culture and what negative impacts that has to organizations and teams and like the dog eats dog, the I have to put on the most hours, though I look like the best, I'm going to be the most vocal, I'm going to, you know, think that, that kind of environment that pushes people away and also makes it hard for those who maybe aren't used to speaking up to kind of feel included. And I think focusing more on culture, a really really trusting and collaborative culture. I I kind of alluded to like cooperative board games. Obviously, you want to be competitive and it's fun, fun, but, you know, the idea of working together 
to win is a better environment than, say, competing against your coworkers to get that position. And I think a lot of the focus on diversity inclusion has been on let's bring up our numbers, let's hire in more of these specific minorities that we're targeting, but then not focusing on how to retain or include them and make them want to stay. So, yeah, I mean, it's a long-winded answer, but I, I think the conversation should not be about gender, but about including everyone and how to do that, which I think really starts with culture in an organization. I, I think we've started off really well in this company where we have a, a personal growth mindset. Yes. And, you know, on the back of our badges, it's written, Yeah. you know, challenge your intellect. Yes. How are you going to learn? Mm-hmm. And if you're not learning, right. then has the company not provided a culture for you to learn right yes. that's that's the kind of right. uh, questions that, that we right. pose and I think we're, we're in a good place right now yeah you mentioned that there's there are two things that this conference said to help build a culture that's that's inclusive it's psychological safety so people feel feel safe and also that there's growth people want to get better people want to be challenged and if there isn't that then they'll look elsewhere I'm encouraged by the fact that you're so passionate about this kind of culture and creating a cooperative environment for everyone. Do you think that engineering lends itself really well to that kind of culture? Yeah, absolutely. I think it should. I think in any sort of engineering environment, you need people of different roles, people of different skills, different thoughts. You know, you want to have the most creative, fastest, coolest solution, and you kind of need a lot of input to do that. People who like engineering like to solve problems. And it's just a lot easier to solve problems if you're working together versus if you're arguing with each other all the time and competing against each other. So I do think the engineering environment lends to that. What can happen, though, is that when it becomes more competitive that people don't feel like they can think freely, can really voice opinion, you know, even if it is against the normal decision. But you, kind of, you want to hear those outliers because it makes you think a little bit more. The outliers kind of, they, they tend to make you look in the corners of your design mm-hmm. where there might be some deep, dark right. bugs hiding, right? And mm-hmm. having that kind of diversity of thought on your team is necessary to expose those. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting to even have interns here because I think about what you're learning now and what you grew up with and your fresh kind of mind. You know, we're easily to say, well, we used to do it this way and that worked. So we're just going to keep doing this way. And then you have just, it just takes one person to say, well, what if, you know, or have you thought about this or have you tried this? And then if you have the environment where everyone listens to you, regardless of whether or not you're experienced, then you could provide something super valuable and that could have been missed. And I think that's, those are like gems. I mean, that's the whole point of having diversity is to just, yeah. It's It struck me how, how interested people are in mentoring and mm-hmm. how interested people are in really, I guess, making a welcoming environment for the interns and mentoring us and everything. Do you think that that's... I guess, is that typical of your experience when you were an intern? I interned a couple places. I would say I had a really good internship experience in college. It was at Compaq. I had, she was, she was Italian. 
and incredibly smart and really patient with me. And I, I really appreciated that. And then I would say my first few years at Intel, I don't know if I had a strong mentor, one that I felt super comfortable with. And eventually I started forming relationships with people that like, yeah, okay, I think I consider them my mentor and I feel like I can confide in them. I, like I said before, I think it's really important to grow. And especially if you're a senior person, it's really important to give back, to kind of build up that expertise, like which I said I, I failed to do. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's working on it. Yeah. We're all just kind of winging it here. <laughs> yes. But, you know, it's really important. It's kind of the roles. If you are a senior person, you need to make sure that you're giving back and you're training up the next person. And mentorship is 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 a way for people to grow, both as a mentor and as a mentee. Yeah, and men- mentorship goes in both vectors, both yeah. directions. Yeah. And this is something that people tend to forget is that uh, you, you can pick up some topic and give a presentation to your manager and help them figure out how the world works because you realize everyone doesn't know everything. Mm-hmm. And, and so mentorship goes in both directions. And I, I, I tend to think of the technical job ladder as that ladder where everybody who is above you is moving up with the help of people above them at every step of that ladder. And so when you're in the middle, you're reaching down to help those that are more junior than you. If I hearken back to my internship days, I was also at Digital Compact. Really? In Boston? Or, Outside Boston? I was in... Shrewsbury. Uh, I, I've interviewed in Shrewsbury, but I ended up t- taking the job at the Palo Alto Design Center. Oh my gosh. Under what Don is... Dauberpool's team. Uh-huh. And, and so I was... But my manager ended up being in Massachusetts. Yes. And I saw him t- three times that summer. And I, as, as you, know, you, you had alluded to before, there are some interns that don't see their managers. I was one of those. And, and so I didn't have much direction. And I ended up that summer, I, I took that big, thick book called Unix Power Tools, and I read that book. <laughs> and that's how that summer I, I turned it into my own personal education on Unix. <laughs> and that's why I use awk instead of Perl and like all these other things. I learned a lot from that internship and I realized I wanted to be in a place that had more mentorship. And so for my mm-hmm. second one, I I've entered into a team that was kind of co-located with one another and stayed a little bit longer. I was at Sun Microsystems in Burlington, Massachusetts yeah. at that time. Yeah. And uh, it was it was a really good time. And, and uh, it was, I started doing performance modeling back then and I'm still doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've kind of had the gamut of both and, and uh, both ends of the spectrum and, and I definitely value mentorship in both directions and that's why I, I try to create a, a space to allow people to grow as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Is there any advice that immediately comes to mind? Because I'm probably the most junior person at Ampere, but there are a couple people above me that maybe have not had interns yet because they're just getting to that part of the job ladder. Do you have any advice for them for their first interns? My advice, I think you just, you listen. And something I'm working on, you listen and you talk less. Uh, It's true. I mean, it's really easy to give advice, to kind of hear something that somebody asks and then turn into your story and recount what you experienced, but the whole 
point of a mentor is to listen and be supportive and focus on that person, the mentee. And if they want to hear your experiences, great. You can share them. You can give them advice. Um, but it's really important to listen and listen in, in a really uh, unbiased way, right? You know, you've been, you've been through a lot of experiences. You can assume a lot of things, but here's someone new coming into the field, into their first work experience. Anything can happen. Anything still happens. So you just want to be open to it, open to that and just listen. I would also set expectations. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea that, you know, the, the first time you're getting an intern, you have to recognize that they're not at your level and don't expect them to do the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Right. But give them something that they can reach for that's not too far out of reach. It allows them to, to achieve something in their performance zone, right? not in their comfort zone, in their performance zone, and pushes them to learn and, and try hard. And I think creating a, a project that is both standalone and integrated into the rest of the big picture, it's hard to do. You have to craft that, and it takes some effort. But if you do that, you create a good intern program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I only ask that because I'll be a mentor soon to the undergrads at my college. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Yeah, I guess, how how did you figure out that you wanted to be, how did you get into engineering, I guess? There must be some origin story for me. Yeah. There's <laughs> some, some inception thing that happened yeah. when you were young. My origin story, I've always been into math and science. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just kind of, I was drawn to it. I didn't know about engineering when I was in high school. I remember taking one class and we built structures. But before that class, I mean, I thought engineering was related to trains. I mean, that was really my understanding of it. But I was always inclined to math and science related things and computers. And then in college, I went to the engineering school because everyone said, oh, you like math and science. Why don't you do that? And that I had not decided what engineering degree I wanted to do. I took a programming class. I took digital logic and a couple other things related to physics. And of the three, I realized I don't want to be a physicist. A little bit too theoretical for me. I loved the programming class. You know, for me, it was, I think, it challenged my intellect a lot in college. And it was really satisfying because it was hard, but I got it and I did well. It was definitely a shock going from college to work, kind of like you were talking about. It's all theoretical. And then applying that, that was a whole nother kind of, even at my internships, right? I mean, I, I remember I hadn't used Unix before. I had never dealt with transistors before in that way. You know, they I knew what they were. And then all of a sudden they're asking me to size the transistors. You know, so that was, it was just really much more applicable, you know, trying to actually use what I learned. And I think, yeah, I just kind of kept liking it. So I kept doing it. But... Nothing super out of the ordinary. You know, you mentioned that you took the digital logic class, but you really liked the programming class, and mm-hmm. yet you're a senior engineering manager in the digital logic division. Could you explain that? <laughs> At least in my college, it's either computer science or electrical engineering. Mm. 
digital logic and analog, all that fell into electrical engineering. Mm. So I ended up doing a an electrical engineering degree with a focus in computer engineering. Mm-hmm. And so I could also take programming classes. I could take computer architecture. And I'm not really sure why I chose one or the other. I think, honestly, it's because someone told me double E is harder. <laughs> and I have um, a desire to... For pain, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of things I do, I push myself a little probably on the uh, on the harder end for no apparent reason. But um, I, I really think it was because... And uh, you know that I think about it? Someone also told me there aren't very many women. Probably at the time they said girls, because that's what people always say. Right. And I said, I can do it. Right. So I did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've noticed that you do quite like to push yourself at the running club. I thought about joining, and then they were like, oh, yeah, four to seven miles, you know? I, yeah. You can start with us and then do it however, whatever distance you like. The story was, uh, you know, you said four to seven, and someone thought that meant minutes. Yes. yes. <laughs> it was in one of the interns. Yes. I had yes. no idea. <laughs> and after, like, seven minutes passed, I think. And then I think he realized, yeah. And I checked on him afterwards, after, you know, we got back. I said, are you okay? He said, he's fine. He'll, he said he's going to come back. So it didn't turn him away. Yeah. 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 He's up for the challenge. No, yeah. I am incredibly competitive. Mm. But I don't mind losing. It's hard to explain. Mm. I don't mind failing because it just kind of motiv- motivates me some more. I've also never been the best at everything. Mm. Um, my older sister has always been the best in sports and she's she's great. I mean, I, I've never been jealous of it and it just makes me want to work harder. But I've never assumed that I could do things right away because I, I just, I take time to, I take time to learn things and, and that doesn't bother me, but I do better if there's competition. So that's why I like to run and play tennis and work with really smart people because it, I just, I'm competitive that way and. I like to personally challenge myself a lot. Right. Yeah, I, I strive to have that kind of mindset where I'm constantly trying to push myself a little bit more and more each day. Yeah, I think I'm now, maybe it's age, I'm pushing myself, but I'm also telling myself to just enjoy the moment. You know, take a, di- take a breath. You're here. You know, people are around you. Like I need to enjoy as well. No, my husband knows this. Every time we're done with something, some project, something I planned, I sit down. And I'm already thinking what the next thing is. And he's kind of like, oh, <laughs> if I knew that we would start something else, I would have taken longer on the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you mentioned that you try and enjoy the moment a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So what is the, I guess, throughout the day, is there particular time of day or a particular moment where you kind of just really pause and like to think about where you are in that moment like what is what is that so at least at work I really enjoy my mornings I have to admit if I have a meeting in the morning I have to kind of brace myself um okay I'm gonna switch context and I have to go you know go to the meeting but when I have hours to think in the morning I I really enjoy that it's even better if I run in the morning Mm. After I exercise, I'm, I think, I mean, it is an addiction, right? You get this kind of high. And I think great. I feel great. I'm super happy. I no longer have to think I need to go for a run at the end of the day. I, I did it, you know, and my body feels good. 
And a way that I'm trying to be more present is with my kids. It's interesting. Our doctor tells everybody this, not just us, but, you know, you should take 10 minutes a day with your kids. And 10 minutes does not sound like a lot of time at all, but 10 minutes where you are focusing on them. And by that, she means, obviously, you don't have your phone on you, so I put my phone somewhere, and you're doing something that they want to do. You're not asking them, oh, what are you drawing? Oh, what are you building? Oh, we could do this. You just, you're just there with them, and they get to dictate whatever it is. It could be, we're going to pretend to be, in our house, it's battle and lightsabers and Star Wars, but, you know, that's fine. But you're doing what they want to do, and you're not trying to steer it in any way. You're just being there for them. And if you do this daily, it's a, it creates this really strong relationship with your kids that they feel like you are present. Mm. And so I even try to do that, you know, with people. I'm working on my eye contact and not filling with my phone. You know, things that can easily distract you. Mm. So I think it's really important to, get, to be present and not be multitasking like in the back of my mind. Okay, well, I'm actually planning something else while I'm talking to you, which is not easy for me to do. I'm a multitasker, so I'm trying really hard to focus on the current conversation. And then when I have my quiet time to myself, I can then multitask like crazy. (laughs) One of the things I do when I'm meeting with people and I see that they're on their phone, I just stop talking and I wait. I'm like, you may multitask, but I'm not going to. And then they're like, oh, wait, you're waiting for me. Okay, then then they kind of like put their thing away and then we can continue. (laughs) (laughs) So note to self, don't. Note to self. Yeah. I'm watching you. (laughs) I was wondering what you think about when you're running. I noticed you don't, you don't listen to music and so on, Mm. right? I don't have headphones. I don't have my phone. I don't have a watch. I, I, also, even, I don't even know how long I'm running for. Yeah, I, I also don't take anything with me when I run. You know, a lot of people say they can problem solve when they're running. Maybe I'm just not that good at multitasking because if you ask me to do math, like just even just, I, I've tried this out. Like, okay, what's 32 times? And I, I, you lost me already. I breathe. I count my breaths. And the moment I get into like, I mean, there's, there's running where I need to de-stress. And so then I'm thinking about stuff. And then... You know, a half an hour gone, has gone by, and I've I've been thinking about stuff that's been stressing me out, and I feel I feel much more relaxed. Sometimes I think too hard about it, and I'll trip on the trail, and like, oh, Annie, wake up. <laughs> Other times, I think I'm just focusing on my breathing because it can be hard, and but it's it's consistent and therapeutic. And then also, I just look at the trees. I I tend to run on trails more. You know, you asked me what got me into engineering. I the only reluctance I had with engineering was that it was not outdoors. It was not something that I could, like, experience, if that makes sense. And so I had to kind of balance my uh, work laptop uh, time with experience time, being outside, getting fresh air, just, yeah, nature. I need a lot of nature in my life. Yeah. Sounds very meditative. <laughs> Everybody has their own way to yes. de-stress. Yes. yes. Whether I could actually sit still and meditate is a question, but I can I can run and meditate. You're actively meditate. Yes. That's yes. Fine. Why running in particular? I never ran until I met my husband. So you blame him. <laughs> um, I should I I probably ran a little bit for tennis as a kid growing up in high school, but you know it's funny. I grew up East Coast, and I had never run. I had never hiked. 
never climbed. You move out to Oregon and it's what everybody does. And I went, I remember my first hike. I was so excited because everyone kept saying we're going hiking. And then we started hiking at the trail. It's the um, Angel Creek. Angel, Angel. Angel's Rest. Angel's Rest. Thank you. I love Angel's that one. Rest. That was my first hike ever. Wow. I remember, I remember we started and I said to the people I was with, I was like, so, so we're walking. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, so hiking is just walking with the backpack. I don't know what I was expecting, to be honest. But then, you know, everyone built it up. And then it was so nice. It was, I was, I was amazed that, you know, I'm walking uphill and there's trees and look at this view. And then guess what I did at the very top? I take out my cell phone and I call my friend and say, I just hiked up the top of this, you know, whatever. And I thought about it later. I'm like, I can't believe I took out my cell phone in that moment. I could have just been in the moment enjoying it. But then after that, I honestly was, I was hooked and I met my husband and he's a, he's a runner. And so he took me on a couple runs and, you know, it just, it just clicked. I, I clearly have a need for that sort of therapy, that sort of for my body. I, I, yeah. But yeah, I like running. It's, it's a really easy sport to do because you, it's just you. You put on your pair of shoes, you're done. You don't need to coordinate with anybody. Although I do because I'm social. <laughs> Yeah, I, you mentioned how meditative it is. When I was just in my planner, you came over to me and you were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you you also bullet journal? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and you said that your big thing was hand lettering. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find hand lettering to be meditative? Very. I got into hand lettering about two years ago when I was doing chalkboard signs a lot for various events and for friends. And I even did a wedding once. It was really fun. And then I just discovered bullet journaling. And I feel like I've wasted all my life not doing, <laughs> having done bullet journaling before because it is, it's someone who likes to organize, write, reflect on things. It's it's therapeutic. Hand lettering for me is about perfection, which again, I like to do things well. And I'm far from perfect. <laughs> But I enjoy it. Yeah. I find that I need a purpose, though. Same thing. Like, I need to be motivated. I can't just go home and sit on the couch and start writing words. Mm. You know, I need to write a thank you card or I need to write a birthday card. I need to have a – it has to be about something. And that's my, you know, doing mode. But bullet journaling, at least for me, I don't know if it's for you, it's, it's just a really nice way to organize and realize what's important and what's not. Because you write a lot of things down, and writing is a lot slower than typing. So you start to think, well, is this worth writing down? Even like taking notes in meetings and stuff, I find it's, you know, I'll write the stuff that's important. If I were to type notes, I'll just type everything. I can type super fast, you know, and am I really intaking anything by typing really fast? But if I have to handwrite everything, then I'm only going to write down stuff that makes sense to me that I find important. So, yes, I find writing uh, a very relaxing thing you know it's some people don't like to handwrite because it's just tedious and harder and they don't like their handwriting but it's anachronistic (laughs) (laughs) but you like the challenge that's that's what this whole thing has been about yes one time i got to uh annotate people's you know speeches and presentations I found that really satisfying, but also made me realize I am not a good doodler Mm. because you have to be creative on the spot. And this is the engineering side of me. Like I need structure. I need 
formulaic things. And so I'm practicing doodling more where it doesn't have to be perfect. And it doesn't have to really make sense. It's just kind of what comes out in the moment. And I'm, I'm working on that too. You're speaking with someone who's about to graduate college very soon. Think, think back about you know, 20 years when you were at that point. What would you say to your prior self at that point? I felt like I did not have a lot of direction when I graduated from college. I got a job because I got a job. I took it right away because that's what people did. I took whatever salary I was given because I didn't know you could bargain. I think I rushed out of college into work. Now, I did enjoy what I learned, and I wanted to get a job to get paid. But I would take your time. You know, it's if you're ready, go do it. If you need time off, take that time off. You're in a time in your life where you're not, you know, you don't have hopefully a lot of other responsibilities. You know, maybe you, some people do. But if you have that luxury where you can take your time, I wouldn't rush it. And if you try something and you don't like it, I think change. It's, you know, you do, it's never too late. I mean, you look at people like us, we changed after 17 years, right? It's never too late, but it's, it's usually easier if it was earlier. So yeah, I would say just take your time. If you haven't figured it out, but if you have, then go for it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining as Kathy Thompson from Reed College here for the summer and Annie Duong. We had a wonderful conversation talking about engineering and running and inclusivity. It's been really great. I hope that your senior year goes really well and hope to see you again sometime here at Ampere Computing. My name is Mahesh. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Annie and Kathy. Thanks. Thank you.